Today's episode of The Rewatchables and The Ringer Podcast Network brought to you by Sling TV. Millions of people have cut the cord and started slinging because slinging is about freedom. No long-term contract. Customize your channel lineup. Change it from one month to the next. Catch the latest shows, live sports, and hit movies, including today's rewatchable, The Natural, starting at just 25 bucks a month. Open up your relationship with TV. Start slinging. Go to sling.com slash rewatchables. They have a special offer just for our listeners. 14 days free when you enter the promo code RINGER. That's sling.com slash rewatchables. Promo code RINGER. Offer available to new customers only. Availability may vary by location. Other restrictions apply. We're also brought to you by the Ringer MLB show where we are getting you ready for the season in a whole bunch of different ways. Previews, a little fantasy. Mm-hmm. Mallory Rubin even went on there to do a sports rewatchables. What game did you do? We did game six of the 2011 World Series, Rangers cards. Ringer MLB show heating up, hosted by Michael Bauman with a bunch of Ringer characters on there as well. Meanwhile, I believe we have two lives, Mallory. The life we learn with and the life we live after that. The Natural is coming up next. TriStar Pictures presents Robert Redford in The Natural. The story of a father and a son. You got a gift, Roy? But it's not enough. A champion. A Roy Hobbs comes along once, maybe twice in everybody's lifetime. And his destiny. I wouldn't bet against me. I already have. Robert Redford. Robert Duvall. Glenn Close. Kim Basinger. Wilford Brimley. The Natural. All right, what an honor and a privilege. The Mother of Dragons is here. We are like on the stretch run here of Game of Thrones. Like just getting any time with you is is uh, is both wonderful and special and also I, I value it. So thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me, yeah. Wonder Boy. The honor and the privilege is all mine. This used to be, in my opinion, the greatest sports movie of all time. Yeah. The Natural. Mm-hmm. 1984. Yeah. Robert Redford. I'm not sure that's still the case. And I don't want to start the rewatchables out by negging the movie because I love this movie and I've seen it about as many times as I've seen any sports movie other than maybe Rocky Three and Hoosiers. Okay. I would say I've seen this the third most out of any sports movie. How many times is that roughly? Well, so if if you're talking pieces, yeah. Where you can just jump in, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, there's an hour left. Yeah. He's he's about to start playing. Mm-hmm. Roy Hobbs is about to get some PT. I'm probably in from that point on. Right. Um, but it's definitely a little slow. I would definitely uh, make some edits. Well, you haven't rewatched this in a while. What was your initial take? You know, I really enjoyed rewatching it. Yeah, I, I did too. <laughs> I, to I emailed you in the early week. I was like, it's amazing. Yeah, it was longer than I it's remembered. Long. It's like two and a half hours. Almost. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a fat movie, but it was also funnier than I remembered. And there's way more sex than I remembered. Oh. All in on that. Okay. Well, we'll hit that in a little bit. Is this the greatest baseball movie of all time? You say no. Absolutely not. Yeah. You think Bull Durham. Bull Durham is one of my three favorite movies all time, period. It's certainly my favorite sports movie and it's definitely my favorite baseball movie. That's in a class of its own. I need to watch it again and really think about what my list is. I don't know if I have a favorite baseball movie. I like pieces of different movies. Yeah. Like, I think this has certain things that I think are the best, but I think Bull Durham has certain things. I still feel like Bull Durham, 
Um, the Tim Robbins is insurmountable for me. The throwing motion. Oh, it's, it's insurmountable. You can't have the greatest baseball movie of all time when you have this phenom pitcher and he throws <laughs> like he has a broken arm. Well, can't you, if one of the lines to him at a certain point in the movie is you, you couldn't hit water if you were in a fucking boat? <laughs> well, maybe. maybe. <laughs> like, that's part of the, the lore around him. I have been thinking about that, though, just in the baseball movie canon, how every movie that we think of as being like iconic really represents a different thing that we like either about baseball or about movies. Or about the era. Yeah. And the natural is obviously about the the godlike figure, the mysticism and myth-making nature of the sport. Something like Field of Dreams, something like Eight Men Out, obviously if you get into any of the comedies or Moneyball, you know, all those things do something completely different. Their ambition is completely different. And what I love about Bull Durham so much is that it tries to combine so many of those things. It's a romantic comedy. Right. It's a sports movie. It's about metaphysics. It's about philosophy. The hero's journey is in there. But it's almost in some ways the complete opposite of The Natural, where The Natural is about can you can you realize your dream not only to become the man you set out to be, to, but, but to be a god, a god among mere mortals? Yeah, and which is in your wheelhouse. Yeah, I'm always, though, going to be slightly more drawn, I think, to the opposite, which is, what if you can never get there? What is your life like? And that, of course, is what's so appealing about Crash Davis as a movie figure. And that one, I think, has cro- can cross over the most errors. So mm-hmm. I look at the natural and field of dreams— yeah. Natural is 84. Field of Dreams was, I think, 89 or 90. And they belong to this era of baseball that 89. was basically ruined by steroids, where pre-steroids, we believed in baseball heroes. We believed in the American pastime and the power of, you know, fathers and sons and generations and family right. and all that stuff. And then the lockout happened. And then the steroids thing happened. Right. And from 94 to 98, that basically got decimated, leading to Barry Bonds in the 73, and then us having this existential crisis mm-hmm. on how do we feel about baseball now? I remember seeing Field of Dreams with my friend Jen Morris mm-hmm. in, um, I think we're in college freshman year. And we, it was one of those, it ended and you're just still sitting in the seats for oh, like yeah. 20 seconds after. Oh, just yeah. like, oh my God, what just happened? It was a really memorable moment. And I don't know 20 years later if somebody could sit through that movie and feel that way because baseball had kind of tarnished us a little bit. Does that make sense? That's an interesting point. You know, I guess that the movies that are really successful, whether they're about baseball or anything else, are always going to be able to rise above the moment in which they were made and 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 exude a sense of timelessness. And I do think that The Natural does that. That was yeah. one of the pleasant surprises of rewatching it. You know, as you said, it's made in 84, but it takes place in the 1939 season. I mean, yeah. this is a completely different era, not only in the sport, but in life, in the world. They're leaving their gloves in the outfield when they go to the dugout. <laughs> Out. Yeah, it's I always think school. about that when he drops one when he drops Wonder Boy at the plate. It's like this is your only bat, yeah. my guy. Wouldn't Treat this with a little more constantly care. turning around. Do, do you, Bobby, did you take Wonder Boy? Put it right back in the violin case. Yeah. I can't wait to talk about Bobby. By the way, oh, I have so many thoughts about Bobby yeah, yeah. out there rocking those Converse. He looks like a Los Feliz hipster. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. He looks like somebody who would be interning for us. <laughs> um, the uh, the chill scene mm-hmm. is a concept. When I had my old website, one of the first pieces I wrote in 1997 was the 30 greatest sports movies. Mm-hmm. And in that thing, one of the ways I kind of rated, ranked the movies was like, did did it have a chill scene? Mm-hmm. What was the power of the chill scene? 
This movie has, I think, the best chill scene of any sports movie, which is the home run with the fireworks and everything about that last 90 seconds is mm -hmm. perfect with the guys jumping out of the dugout in slow motion with the yeah. fist pump, the fireworks and Wilford Brimley's grasses, <laughs> Hobbs just trotting around the bases, the stands. It's like, I watched it this week. I, I had chills. Of course. Do you feel like a chill scene is an essential part of a great sports movie? I do think a chill scene is an essential part of a great sports movie. I think you can achieve a chill scene in various ways. It doesn't always have to be through achievement. It can also be through failure. True. But this version of it, it is one of those things where you realize that the movie has power over you whether or not you want to give it that power. Yeah. And that's a pretty incredible thing. Like, you can go into it thinking, I'm, I'm too cool for this. This is not going to have any impact or, on me. Or I think especially if you know the ending of the book, which is, of course, different. You know, he strikes out. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I mean, the book is, I wanted to get into that. The book is way different and actually became controversial when the movie came out because it was so different from the book. Right. People were like, fuck you, Robert Redford. You've just ruined the book. So I have actually, I'm slightly ashamed to admit, I have not read the book. Really? Which, you know, a book it's about kind of in your wheelhouse. Jewish author. Yeah. <laughs> you would think I would have checked this out at some point, but I don't know. It's just been one of those things that's always been on my list and I've somehow never gotten to. And doing a little bit of research for this, I was actually pretty surprised to discover how different not only various points along the way are, but the ending in particular, because the ending of the film feels totally of a piece with the hero's journey and that quintessential arc. And if that last point on the arc is absent, you're left with a completely different story and a yeah. completely different sensation as a viewer or a reader. So he, Barry Levinson directed this. Uh -huh. Pride of Baltimore. And instead of basically doing the true reconstruction of the book, he decided to make Redford a hero mm -hmm. and he made it more about fathers and sons. And the father-son angle, I think, is one of the things that is the most dramatically different from the book. And it's also like an easy thing to do with baseball. That's basically what Field of Dreams is about too. Mm -hmm. And the concept of when I have a son, someday we'll have a catch and mm -hmm. then we'll be playing Which, in the backyard. of course, and, is how this movie ends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, in the wheat field. So- I actually think that's probably a smart decision. Mm -hmm. I don't know in the 80s, which was this very patriotic, old school decade for how we did stuff, mm -hmm. that Roy Hobbs striking out and then like going to jail for possibly <laughs> killing this person is how right. it would have gone. I think in the 2000s, that is more realistic. And the throwing the game angle. Throwing the game, the too, whole thing. Right? There's some shoeless Joe Jackson there. But if we made this movie in like 2015, I actually think they would have stayed faithful to the book. Because yeah. it makes much more sense because that's kind of how we feel about baseball heroes now. We expect the worst as well as the best. Right. It's also how we feel about heroes, full stop. I mean, think about the prestige, golden age TV era. Think Even think about something like Game the of anti -hero, Thrones. Like, yeah, yeah the, an the era of the antihero and this idea of moral ambiguity being true to life. You know, a story that presents the choices that a character has to make or the path that a character is on as totally black or white. You do the good thing or the bad thing. People can't relate to that experience anymore. That's not what life is like for no. anyone ever. And you want, even if it's a story about dragons or wizards or anything you might see on your TV, a gangster, a meth, a teacher turned, you know, meth maker, anything, you have to be able to relate to something in the character. And ultimately, Roy being tempted, I mean, he's tempted in the film, but by women. It's, it's, it's a very different equation than saying, would he have considered taking the bribe at the end? You know, even something like the foul ball hits 
Iris in the book, right? That's when he breaks Wonder Boy. Not just missing a home run by inches, like even the subtle changes yeah. reflect basically, is this guy a failure or is this guy always just an inch away from achieving his dream? Yeah. I think it could be remade. I yeah. actually think it would make a lot of sense to remake this movie now and and make the dark version of it. Who would you cast as dark Roy Hobbs in this 2019 version of The Natural? I would definitely cast somebody who's under the age of 40. <laughs> I'm like in this movie. Where you wouldn't Redford's cast a 48-year-old yeah, or whatever he was? Whatever he is. <laughs> Who is it? Is it Miles Teller? No. He's too God, young. No. I'm trying to think of people I know who actually played baseball. This is a good question. It's it has to be somebody late, like late thirties. Yeah, because he's supposed to be. I got it, David Schwimmer. <laughs> <laughs> he's supposed to be about thirty four when he makes it to the Knights. So like yeah, they're making fun of him for being so old. It's when you're supposed to retire, but he's not like fifty. He's in his mid thirties. Although back then, you know, to play in your late thirties was not very realistic. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Like Babe Ruth was done at age like 35, eating hot dogs, drinking. Man. Getting syphilis. Can't wait to talk. We have a a syphilis reference in this film. Can't wait to talk about that. And of course, we have a Ruthian figure in the Whammer. Yeah. It's all there. Well, let's hit a couple of things about the book. Written in 1952 by Bernard Malamud. Mm Mm-hmm. Borrowed from this bizarre shooting of Eddie Waitkiss yes. in 1949 in the Phillies, who then came back a year later and got the Comeback Player of the Year in the WizKid Phillies. It's like a great documentary that nobody could do because there's no footage. But um, So it borrowed on that, and in the book, Hobbs struck out in the big game and discovered his grizzly past exposed in the papers. Alongside allegations, he threw the big game. And the novel ends with Roy crying bitter tears after a paperboy inquires, say it ain't true, Roy, which is a clear show, Shoeless Joe Jackson right. rip-off right. thing. And it's a Greek tragedy, which I didn't fully realize till I did the research. Mm-hmm. I know this is in your real house. They mention Homer in the book. I mean, in the movie. Oh, yeah. Have you ever read Homer? So basically, it's Roy Hobbs is Odysseus. Mm-hmm. Max Mercy is the Vulcan god of fire who could make or break you. Right. Always seen in red or brown clothing, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. I never noticed stuff mm-hmm. like this. Pop Fisher is Zeus, king of gods, uniform number one. Mm-hmm. Um, the lightning bolt and the Wonder Boy bat are as symbols. Right. This is, I'm of going course. to. Yeah. The judge is Hades, god of the underworld, always in the dark. Mm-hmm. Memo. Who's is our siren? There she is. A sea nymph, Calypso. <laughs> Had an affair with Odysseus, distracted him from returning home. Gus Sands is the Cyclops. He has the one strange eye. I can't believe I saw this movie a hundred times. I'd never put this together. I'm such a moron. <laughs> Iris was Penelope, the wife of Odysseus, Roy's true love. Right. And then Hubris is his enemy. Mm-hmm. He wants to be the greatest who ever lived. Just like and, Ted Williams. <laughs> and like Ted Williams and and like uh, the Greeks, that was... They considered that to be one of the fatal flaws. So do you buy this? You, you, nobody loves fantasy more than you. Oh, I mean, it's, it's, it's not even subtext. It's overt text. Harriet really literally overt. says, you know, the like, do you even lift bro thing? Harriet's like, do you even read Homer, bro? Like that's yeah. in the movie. I mean, right. it's just, it's directly there. What's interesting about it, I think, is that undeniably you can assess it on the, on the Joseph Campbell hero's journey scale. So if you read The Hero with a Thousand Faces or study anything about 
Joseph Campbell's monomyth analysis. It fits pretty snugly through the course of those steps, the redemption arc, everything like that. Yeah. Right down to having, you know, a silver bullet. What is a silver? What do we associate a silver bullet with? Slaying a mythic creature. Right. Right. A real bullet won't do. The interesting thing, I think, is that you can do the Homer Odysseus thing or you can go Arthurian legend and it fits just as well. So that's really fun. A story where you can apply it in multiple ways to different heroes journey or mythological elements. So you have the name Roy. What does Roy mean? It means king. What is, who, what is Wonder Boy? Wonder Boy is Excalibur. I almost named my son Roy, by the way. That's, you should have. It's Roy's great. A, Roy's a great name. <laughs> Roy's a great name. The, by the way, you can name your son Roy Rubin. Hmm. Now, you're, now your mother's going to call you. I listened to the natural podcast. Why did Bill you, say you were going to have kids? I heard kids? you agree on the podcast with Bill, what, your what boss, that you would be Roy? taking maternity leave within the next. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> Appreciate it. But you have not only the clear parallel between Roy and Arthur and Wonder Boy and Excalibur, you know, the tree felled by lightning. What, what, mm. what do we associate lightning with? Zeus, right? The godlike figure. It's all there. But then you also have the legend of the Fisher King, the Holy Grail, pursuing the Holy Grail. Yeah. Sir Percival, the Knights of the Round Table. Well, a lot of the baseball teams in the story are actual baseball teams, right? Well, you they're have, called the New York Knights. And then we have the Knights. Yeah. <laughs> the fictional team subbed in with the word Knights right there in the story. So you think he borrowed from that too? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think it's, I, I would say less like borrowing and more it's an intentional homage. It's funny to think of this movie in the concept of the Princess Bride, mm -hmm. which came out, I think, like a year later. But basically, very both very 80s. They belong to that decade, but both trying to accomplish a lot of the same things. Mm -hmm. of just these very basic, generic themes, but told in an awesome way. Mm -hmm. um, I like this movie. It was 82 on Rotten Tomatoes. Made almost $50 million. Tough one for Roger Ebert. Yeah. Two stars. Yeah. He said, why didn't they make a baseball picture? Why did the natural have to be turned into idolatry? Mm -hmm. Is that how you say that? Idolatry? Idolatry? Idolatry. Idolatry? Yeah, idolizing a figure. I've never Deifying. said, I've never pronounced that word before. It's a word I would never say. See, here's the thing about that critique. On behalf of Robert Redford, he said. It's bad critique. That is a part of baseball fandom. Yeah. It just is. Like, if you love baseball. Over every other sport, yeah. by far. A huge part of the appeal, a huge part of the draw, especially when you're a kid and you're falling in love with the game for the first time. You pick your dude. It's the it's the godlike nature of what you're witnessing someone do. You know, what do we hear all the time? The hardest thing to do in sports is hit a baseball, right? Literally only so many people alive are capable of throwing a baseball that hard. It's just not a thing that you can train yourself to do if you're not able to do it in some way. And it is a myth-making machine. That's yeah. the draw. It's not, I mean, obviously the nature of baseball fandom has changed, I think, as we've entered the sabermetrics era. And just like anything else in life, you can, you know, consume it in the way that you see fit and that's valid and great and go do your thing. But for a lot of people, the p appeal of baseball and baseball stories, like I think of, of Philip Roth and the great American novel and the idea, you know, why is it called that? Well, the idea that 
if anyone ever wrote the great American novel, it would have to be about baseball. And, yeah. you know, if characters in there like Gilgamesh and linking the sport to myth. When you think about Bull Durham and part of what makes it so great, it's not just loitering in the minor leagues and fucking the hot local who wants you to get on the hot streak. It's this discussion of existential dread and metaphysics and how inadequate you feel, not only when you can't do the thing you want to do, but when you see these titans rise around you. Yeah. That's part of being a baseball fan. So holding that against the movie, now obviously that is raised to uh, the fullest extent of what that could possibly be in this movie, but that's part of what makes it fun. It's so overtly interested in exploring that one particular aspect of the sport and of loving the sport. I like that part of it. I it's too. corny, but that's part I of mean, the fun. My guy was Fred Lynn. Had his baseball card in my wallet from the moment I got a wallet <laughs> all the way through to after I met him at the 2003 All-Star Celebrity Game, got a Sharpie, pulled the card out of my wallet and had him autograph it, which I think he thought was pretty weird, but I didn't care. I was like, this is my first favorite baseball card. I keep it in my wallet for good luck. He signed it. That's stayed awesome. in my wallet for another 10 years and then finally uh, fell apart. Yeah, every, this is, I think basketball has kind of replaced baseball in this mm-hmm. respect for the basketball players are now the idols. Mm-hmm. And that, that's been one of the craziest things that's happened over the last 20 years. Like Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, mm-hmm. Manny Machado, whoever. I threw that in for you. Thanks, I Mookie appreciate Betts. it. Those guys aren't gods like Roy Hobbs is. The gods now are Giannis and LeBron right. and Kyrie Irving and um, Durant. All the, these Steph Curry. People, mm-hmm. little kids want to be Steph Curry now. They don't want to be Mike Trout. It's true. And I think that's weird. So if you made this, it would almost have to be a basketball thing. I think the pre-steroids era thing is a really important point, mm-hmm. though, because it's hard to really overstate how fucking sappy we were as baseball fans yeah. before 94. And mm-hmm. you're younger than I am. Yeah, this movie, so, this movie came out before I was born. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when, by the time we had the lockout, so you re- really have only known pain with baseball. Misery. Despair. How old were you in the 94 lockout? Uh, eight. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> I mean, the 94 lockout was the first time where I ever remember people being like, fuck baseball. Yeah. Fuck this sport. The sport can go fuck off. And then the next year was like, it was a really weird year. And only Ripken's streak kind of pulled people back a little. And then the home right. run chase, which was so important. Um, but then that became tainted. And right. then it just became, you know, I think the best thing that happened with baseball this century was just these teams that had never won winning mm-hmm. kind of reinvigorated at the Red Sox and the Cubs and the White Sox and the Giants and that's what kind of revived it. Yeah. I will say, one thing that I, I I appreciate about the movie and the story is that there is at least like a a suspicious questioning mind in there. You know, that's really the, the mercy figure. Yeah. Like, not being able to accept that somebody could hit a baseball that far, assuming that the bat had to be corked or in, yeah. in another way corrupted. And, you know, his whole obsession with either being the one who helps make the myth and sort of sanctioning it or being the one to tear down the myth, tear down the false idols and reveal the mortal beneath. Taking pride in that's his job. Yeah. It, so I make or break you. It kind of like, you know, the, <laughs> you know the moment in Game of Thrones when, um, when Dario enters Danny's storyline. Which one's Dario? Well, he's been played by two actors. Is that the little guy? No, that's your, no, 
No. Is that the guy with the scales on his head? No. See, <laughs> Dario, we have OG Dario, and then we have new hot Dario. Dario was in Danny's storyline over in Slaver's Bay. It doesn't matter. No. The point By is. By the way, I know who Dario is. I'm just fucking with you. I, sure. I do know who Dario is. Okay. I, I like believe Dario. you. I believe you. Yeah. And when he, when Jorah's really questioning him, and Dario says, you know, you have a suspicious. Is Jorah the little guy? Jorah is my husband, my husband, Ian Glenn, who's like 65 years old in real life and is the most handsome man alive. Yeah. You have a, you, the line is basically something like, you know, you have a suspicious mind in my experience. Only dishonest people think this way. And I found myself thinking about that with the whole journalistic depiction in the yeah. film. And why would you not trust this? But it's also important because you can't just think that just because this is supposed to take place in the 30s and not the modern day that everybody would be totally instantly ready to believe that this was possible. At least one person has to say, what's going on here? Right. Baseball Mount Rushmore movies? Bull Durham. Field of Dreams. Field of the Dreams. Natural. The Natural. Moneyball? It's like Moneyball or Major League. I loved Moneyball. I mean, that was one of the first rewatchables we ever did was yeah. Moneyball, which has become a severely underrated 2010s movie it's in the discussion and has really great scenes in it and goes back to the point of how the best baseball movies kind of represent whatever the era was right bad news bears 70s completely in, politically incorrect inappropriate but so were the 70s it's perfect right when they remade it it was a disaster because they had to make a political correct version of it which defeated the purpose of why we had that movie um Go to the 80s, The Natural, Field of Dreams, Major League with the old school kind of start to finish, rags mm -hmm. to riches, Rocky as a baseball yeah. team, does that whole thing. Bull Durham was also in the 80s. 80s, good era for baseball movies. Bull Durham, when, when we were really for the first time being like, how can we take that Rocky motto and actually go the next level with mm -hmm. how we write a movie? And that's Ron Shelton. That's his right. biggest legacy. And then we go into the late 90s. And a movie like For Love of the Game where people mm -hmm. are like, we've seen every kind of sports movie. <laughs> right. How do we now merge this with other genres? Mm -hmm. And For Love of the Game has some of the best baseball scenes of any movie. Yeah. But the other stuff is so bad, right. it kind of taints it. But then by the time we get to Moneyball, now it's like we've graduated seven levels beyond what a sports movie is. And now it's like this is about a movement that happened in a sport. Right. And it just happens to be about baseball. Right. And that's where we are now. Yeah, I, I love all of those. I'm also personally partial to the ones that came out when I was a kid and were about kids. So like, oh, that was, a, that was another great big, era. Little yeah. big league angels. What's in the your outfield. favorite of those? Man, probably little big league. I I must have watched that a hundred times when I was a kid. Which I would one, just is alternate that the, between that and Little Giants. Though I got you know what? Broken arm one is that? What's that? That's that's, little, that's rookie of the year. Little big league. He's the manager. Yeah. <laughs> Producer Craig, how many of these have you seen? Uh, most of them. I, you guys haven't said The Sandlot. Oh, uh, The Sandlot's amazing. The Sandlot is We good. have to do rewatchables on The Sandlot. Rookie of the Year, 1993. When Man. was The Sandlot? Let's see. Nine, also 93. So interesting, interesting little tidbit here. My entry point to baseball movies with my son. Yeah. The three movies that he loved. Bad News Bears and Breaking Training. Okay. Which is real. The, I mean, that is like that. That is one of the greatest movies ever made. Uh, the Sandlot, yeah, and Major League. I like, but like it. The Natural, way too slow. No way he's getting through that. Yeah, uh, Field of Dreams, no way. Bull Durham, nah. Really? Nah, not yet. Anyway, 
Yeah. Maybe maybe when he turns 12 and he starts feeling a little rumblings, maybe that's that'll be the right time. <laughs> I think Bull Durham is either a good puberty movie it might or, be a, good puberty movie or a good high school movie when you've started like studying philosophy. Mm. <laughs> that's, that's a good time for it too. It's 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 a tough movie for Costner's hair. No. He hadn't really no. figured it out. It's getting Could a not, little thinner on no. top. So he has no. to he has to do the hockey player move. He's got to grow it back a little bit. Strong it's a tough disagree. One. Tough one. That's up there with like who has looked the best in a movie ever? <laughs> Costner and Bull Durham is on the list. Obviously, the answer is Harrison Ford and Witness. Obviously. Is that nobody the answer? Has, oh my God. Nobody has ever looked that Harrison good. Ford and Witness? Yeah. Is your yeah. number one? Oh yeah. Oh Give yeah. Me, who else is in? This is where Sean's just gonna barge <laughs> in and be like, guys, we've had a recording malfunction. <laughs> Harrison Ford and Witness. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I got to make my list for the opposite sex. I'll have to think about this. I mean, I'm happy to do it for... for. This is like a good ringer week. That'll probably lead to a bunch of HR violations. I have to give this some thought. Harrison Ford a witness. What was the one where he had the short haircut? Presumed Innocent? You didn't like that one. He had short hair in a couple different movies. I, I don't know. Witness is just... <sighs> All right. Perfect. Let's, we'll leave, we'll eyes, leave this over here. Sad eyes. I love a man with sad eyes. <laughs> That's why I like Kyle Chandler so much. The sad eyes. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. We're going to take a, a brief break right before we do most rewatchable scene presented by Slink TV. They're so smart. They actually sponsored the perfect category. If you need to refresh your memory of the nominated scenes from Natural, which we'll get to in a second, or prep for next week's rewatchable, Pretty Woman. Ooh. Great one. Yeah. Great one. That's going to be a good one. Look no further than Sling TV. Sling has them both in their deep library of new and classic movies, current shows, and of course, live sports. Watch on your TV, phone, or tablet. Whenever, wherever, Sling has broken the traditional TV bundle. You can customize your channel lineup from one month to the next. Watch what you want, when you want, where you want. You know how I know Sling TV is the future? How? Nephew Kyle uses it. And wow. he can barely like get a Starbucks for himself. I didn't know you could boot up Sling TV at the dark room. I know you apparently you can. <laughs> They've also created a special ribbon for us in the Sling TV app with about 17, 18 of the movies we've discussed in the rewatchables and the corresponding episodes of this podcast. So you can finally give a classic like Midnight Run the love it so richly deserves. <laughs> it's an all-timer. College basketball in full swing, NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, MLB opening day coming up. Don't miss out. There's a better way to watch TV. It's Sling. Sign up at sling.com slash rewatchables. They have a special offer just for our listeners. 14 days free. Enter promo code RINGER. Offer available to new customers only. Available Availability may vary by location. Other restrictions apply. And now, the nominee's most rewatchable scene in the natural. This is a good one. I have yeah. a lot of thoughts on this. Hobbs versus the Whammer is fantastic. The shit kicker couldn't strike me out with a hundred bitches. Three is all he'll need, Whammer. Oh, I love contests of skill. Do you? So do I. Well, what about you there, Huckleberry? Scared? Not of you, I'm not. Why don't we go on Incredible. the Joe Don Baker. Incredible. As, as ba basically, a lot of people have failed playing Babe Ruth, and the best version of Babe Ruth in ho from a Hollywood version mm -hmm. was actually Joe Don Baker as the Whammer. Oh, it's perfect. He's great. Perfect the, the size. The nose, the gut, yeah. the swagger. Felt athletic anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for yeah, sure. compared to John Goodman and sure. Babe Ruth. Yes, that's true. 
That's true. I I love also that we can we can timestamp this, right? So Roy is supposed to be 34-ish in the 1939 season. So we know this is 23. It's 23. 23 is- Babe Ruth Ruth wheelhouse here, yeah. I mean, it's the 14-war MVP season. Yeah. So the idea of Babe Ruth in his 14-war MVP season engaging in a carnival bet with Roy Hobbs is just thrilling to think about. Would you have called him Babe Ruth or are you like having the whammer as like a cover? I like the whammer as a cover. I kind of do. It makes too. you just work for it like one degree as yeah. a as a, a viewer. Plus, you would have had to go lefty if you're going to actually have him be Babe Ruth, and that's tough. You have to find a lefty Joe Don Baker. I think that's yeah. tough. Yeah. No, I, I was. I'm in favor of this. I, I like in general the blend of real life names and figures and fictional creations. I, I always like when stories kind of morph reality and fiction. This is a great scene, and um, also leads to. A great question of nobody with masks on back. Foul tip really takes out Duval or the poor catcher, the old guy. I mean, the great moment Very when, dangerous. when Duval just backs up yeah, 20 yeah. paces and Whammer's like, how are you going to call it from there? It's like, <laughs> well, I'm more concerned about not sustaining a concussion here than about yeah. calling it properly. That's a classic. Hobbs's first batting practice when they finally let him. I love that one. Let him hit. <laughs> That's a great one. Come here. Let me see that bat. Not bad, kid. Where'd you get this? I made it myself from a tree near home. Wonder Boy. Put that on there. What does it mean? I made it a long time ago when I was a kid. I wanted it to be a very special bat. After I've been here every day. And they finally let him hit and he's just cranking him. Great swing by Redford. Model off Ted Williams, right? That's in the Roger Angel New Yorker piece. So crucial that him and Costner both really looked like baseball players. Yeah. Really, really, really Yeah, you did. buy it. You buy it. Yeah. The batting practice scene is wonderful for three reasons. Okay. Just the sheer spectacle, right? It's like watching Josh Hamilton in the Home Run Derby. Yeah. <laughs> you realize that the characters are having the same experience that you are as a viewer. So you're totally mesmerized and captivated by what you're seeing. And Brimley so goes, are the people. Brimley goes get the water. The water. Yeah. The water fountain like this that he screws up drinking it previously had a scene complaining about the quality of the water why can't they fix this you know you understand how forlorn he is and how just decrepit the team and the stadium and everything about their situation is but even he who was so reluctant so hesitant to turn to Roy in part because he thought he was being duped by the judge yeah he's just drinking that filthy water just guzzling it and then the third reason the line you just referenced you know I've been here every day you really realize that Roy is kind of a dick. Yeah. He's kind of an asshole. And there are a lot of moments in the movie where you're like, this is not a necessarily a nice guy. And that doesn't mean he's Which a bad guy. Which gives him something in common with basically every baseball hero we've had. Yeah, he's just like sort of a jerk. He, he doesn't hesitate to be rude to people. He really does on some level, and, and this is not um, necessarily a winning characteristic trait. It's like a little alienating. He actually feels really entitled. He thinks he deserves this. He thinks he's owed something and that he was denied it by forces outside of his control and that that was really unfair and that he obviously has waited patiently, but that now it's his time and he is refusing to give up. And Storms anybody, out of the meeting. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's on my list. That he, def- he deflowers Iris and then immediately falls for the lady in black. Tough beat for my guy, Roy. <laughs> he falls for the bad luck niece. Oh, yeah. After Pop 
says to him, my niece is bad luck. And he's like, great. I'm going to risk it. Starts hooking up with her (laughs) and immediately goes in a slump, never puts the two and two together. (laughs) Yeah, he does not necessarily have great judgment where women are concerned or apparently any understanding of rudimentary birth control. Ah, that was 1923. You can't judge. I mean, not a lot. Of, not a lot of. Uh, not a lot of uh, material out there about the pullout method in 1923. <laughs> I think <laughs> really has to be instinctive. Nobody ever warned Roy and Iris about the power of no, pre cum. No. <laughs> Here we go, Craig. <laughs> what are we? 40 minutes in. You knew it was going to happen. Uh, Third most rewatchable scene, Hobbs' first at bat, tears mm-hmm. the cover off the ball. Incredible. Which I have more thoughts on later, but okay. just the rain comes at the perfect time. Yeah. All of that. They're picking that whole up scene. the scene. Yeah, they don't know the what's string. going on. Right after when they start winning, I really there's a little small scene, but I really like it when there's some chatter mm-hmm. and red turns to pop. Mm-hmm. We'll get into pop and red in a second. Okay. He's like, is this team alive? <laughs> and it's just like, that's like a classic. Yeah. One of the many reasons I love this movie is the rhythms of a baseball season sometimes and you never know what's going to get your team going. Right. But as a fan, you know it mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, what's going on here? Yeah, you can feel it. We've won three straight. The, the guys in the dugout seem like they're making jokes and right. spitting sunflower seeds and there's just a rhythm to it. And I like how they do that. Um, Roy throws the batting practice pitch mm-hmm. and cut to the Max Mercy sprinting out of his seat. Mm-hmm. I have really? some questions about that. Which one? You don't think Max Mercy would have remembered right away? No, that part I'm fine with. It's We can save this later for unanswerable questions or, or picking nits, perhaps, but he's still capable of pitching? Well, but after he throws the pitch, he holds his side because he's got the bullet in his side. Yeah, the silver so must bullet. Hurt him. So silver it's just bullet. about pain tolerance? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they had uh, Toradol back then. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have the pull-out method or Toradol. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Glenn Close goes to the game, breaks mm-hmm. him, stands up, yeah, the breaks lady, him the, the lady slump. in white scene. Hobbs is homer, breaks the clock mm-hmm. at Wrigley Field, which unfortunately, uh, the clock didn't exist until two years later. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. I have that. 41. Redford and Brimley, when Brimley doesn't think Hobbs is going to play, crosses him out of the lineup. I'm going to get to that scene in a second. I have some thoughts on that. And then the ending in Roy's last at-bat. Those are the most rewatchable scenes. I have a controversial pick for what I think the most rewatchable scene is, but you go. What is have, the most rewatchable scene? Add some if you want to I add had, some. So everything you you listed, I had on my list also. The only other things I had, the lightning bolt felling the tree, like the the, the forging mm. of Wonder Boy. Yeah. Great. Good, great lightning. Wonderful. Just splits the tree. Yeah. And there's the, the little, like, the glowing stuff dump of that that one part of the tree where you're like, oh my God, this is like imbibed with magic. You can really feel it. By the way, for 1984, pretty good special effects. Yeah. Yeah. Decent. Impressive. Yeah. Not yeah. bad. The losing is a disease speech. Oh, that was good. Iconic. Yeah. First of all, you noted already Roy getting up and walking out, which is a great Roy is a, kind of a dick moment. But the actual speech itself is hilarious losing is a disease as contagious as syphilis losing is a disease as contagious as bubonic plague this guy is trying to motivate the team by comparing losing 
to syphilis and the bubonic plague. If that doesn't inspire you folks, I don't know what will. That, that's really funny. I like the the montaging nature of like how that is cut and interspliced. And then I uh, I like all of the newspaper headline montages. I think that that is obviously a staple of cinema, you know, conveying information to you in rapid fashion, especially in a movie this long. You, I think you find yourself very grateful for those scenes, yeah. those sequences, because you can just digest a lot quickly. But I found myself thinking like, this is just like Twitter for us now or push notifications. This is how people consumed information back then. You had your headline. You got the information. How many hits did he have? How many home runs did he have? Did he refuse to take the intentional walk and you know stick his bat out to, to make contact instead? So I, I quite liked that in terms that of how That should have gone on Woodstage the best. We can, he kind of violated the format. I'm sorry. We can, still, we can still talk about it there as well. On the lightning bolt thing? Yeah. Uh, the great special effects? Yeah. We're filming this, right? My son's been watching uh, Harry Potter. <gasps> Why watched, didn't you tell me? He watched the first movie from 2001. Okay. And there's that scene where they're playing the game. Quidditch. Where they're flying around. Quidditch. The special effects are awful. I mean, awful. The lightning, the lightning scene is more realistic and has better, more state-of-the-art special effects than a scene where everyone's flying around in 2001. Who made, who made Harry Potter? The Sorcerer's Stone, the first no, who movie, directed Chris, it? Chris Columbus. He's got to go back two. and CGI better special effects. We were like laughing. Check out the Quidditch scene in the third movie. Is that Alfonso when they figured Cuaron, it out? Prisoner of Azkaban. There is a Quidditch match played in lightning. Oh, That okay. I think you'll enjoy. Yeah. It's great. Harry's on this. He's got a new broom, everything. I Quidditch? can't believe can't believe you didn't tell me that Ben was entering the Harry Potter universe. Is he listening to Binge Mode? Um, not yet, because he's got to read the book first. <laughs> He's got, he's got to learn how to read first. And then <laughs> uh, the movies are pretty good, though. What happens when the kid goes through puberty? What do they do then? It's great. They all they age into the roles pretty well. I mean, they were making them. Did he have boners quickly. like Ben Higgins in The Bachelor? Where I don't know if Daniel Radcliffe ever like, uh, had gave a, Harry a, Potter a, ben, a Ben Higgins-esque speech about tucking his <laughs> erection while filming. Uh, what was the most rewatchable scene for you? Uh, it's got to be the walk-off Homer. Right? Okay, it's fair. It has to be. I mean, it's, so I've seen this movie so many times. That's not my pick. Okay, I, it's just it's magnetic and captivating in a way that it's great. It's the it's the greatest chill scene of any sports movie yeah, ever. It's fabulous. I, 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 Except for maybe Rocky getting knocked down in the fourteenth round of Rocky One, and Adrian coming out with the hat, and Carl Weathers thinking he won and turning around, and then Rocky like stumbles up and does the wave in, and Apollo's body just sinks. That might be a better Chelsea. I don't know. I think about it more. That's a good tale of the tape. I don't know. It's just the scene is perfect, not only in the 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 climactic moment itself, but everything that leads up to it. Breaking Wonder Boy, pick me a winner, Bobby. <laughs> he asks for the new bat, it's and great. Bobby gives him the Savoy It's special. iconic. It's wonderful. What's for your me, pick? after watching this movie for now 35 years, yeah. my most rewatchable scene is Hob showing up for the final game and Brimley shaving. Um, Interesting. Let's play that whole clip. You know, my mother told me I ought to be a farmer. My dad wanted me to be a baseball player. Well, you're better than anyone I ever had. And you're the best goddamn hitter I ever saw. Suit up. So, you know, my mama wanted to be a farmer. 
My dad wanted to be a baseball. Wanted me to be a baseball player. Well, you're better than any player I ever had. You're the best goddamn hitter I ever saw. Suit up. It's good. It's great. It's really good. It's good. My dad has called me, and now we can do texts. But my dad will watch The Natural anytime it's on. And he used to. He would literally call me and be like, "HBO two. You're the best <laughs> damn hitter I ever saw. Suit up." I'm like, "Really?" And like. <laughs> Finding it so I could watch the last 15 minutes. I love it. I just love that. And don't sleep on Wilford Brimley's chest hair in that scene. Uh, in His every scene. His chest hair is coming out. It, it is like a forest. It's Nobody's ever had more. Ch- what would Wilford Brimley look like naked? His I, chest hair is out to like the microphone from here. It's it's like a foot long. How does he not trim that? The conversation. How does anyone have that much chest hair? <laughs> the conversation currently. Around Colton's new haircut. Yeah. Colton the Bachelor. Yeah. So it has this like beak like <laughs> right. protruding. Well, he's got nine months left before that hair is gone. From from the front. It's and a that's peninsula. what the chest hair looks like. Yeah, it's like a little peninsula. It's like a platypus bill, but from the from peeking over the jersey. So it's, it's mesmerizing. It's mesmerizing. It's and like a I pelt. think as the cuts of this movie, the digital copies of them became better and better and mm-hmm. you could really see stuff. I, I don't really remember being blown away by anybody's chest hair like that before, but I, I is he is he still alive? I wonder if that's like a calling card for him. Like it's so masculine. No, nobody has more chest hair than I do. 84 years old right now. He's just all chest hair. <laughs> He's just walking around. It's amazing. Uh, what's age the best? Incredible cast. It's great. So three Oscar winners, Robert Redford, Robert Duvall, Kim Basinger, three Oscar nominees, Glenn Close, who lost again, Barbara Hershey, Richard Farnsworth. Also, um, Robert Prosky, mm-hmm. Michael Madsen, mm-hmm. Joe cool. Don Baker. Michael Madsen, how are you feeling about him? Are you Michael Madsen? Some women love Michael Madsen. Never been my thing. Fine. He's fine. My uh, old friend from college, Scooter, mm-hmm. Cara McDermott, who married my friend Horgs. Michael Madsen was her guy. Oh, interesting. Like she was with them all the way when he started having problems, didn't care, stuck by him. Is she still mourning bump to this day? She's still mourning bump. <laughs> Tough loss for bump. But great cast. And uh, Basinger, who, who's in the in the discussion for most beautiful woman who's ever been in a movie. Like yeah. she's in like the top. She's gorgeous. She's at least in the final eight mm-hmm. if you're doing like a March Madness bracket. You know how She's beautiful. there's one thing about every performance where you're like, I can't tell if this is deliberate, that you spend a lot of time thinking about this, or if this is just part of your essence as a human being. Yeah. The 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 lip licking from her. I was you don't I know. couldn't stop th- watching it, thinking about it. I was like, is she doing this on purpose? Or is this just who he who she is? Is she like not able to harness her sexual energy because it's so overpowering? Right. It's really something. She looks like- great. Diane Lane, who I just feel like is actually the character from an eighth unfaithful in real life. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> and she's probably not, but it's just like, yeah. she's so authentic and realistic in that. And the way she's playing with her hair, she's just like, can somebody just make love to me the right way for God's sake? <laughs> oh, I'll meet this artist. Um, Brimsley and Farnsworth as Pop and Red. Perfect. Phenomenal. Perfect. Some so of the it, best stuff in the movie. This is sobering for me, and I think for you as well. Wilford Brimley in that movie is the same age as I am right now, and the same age that your husband's going to be in like six months. How about that? He seems like he's 78. The age difference between Pop and Roy 
in real life is like two years, right? Crazy. He seems like he's 78. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Another what's age the best. This is just for you. We find out that Hobbs played semi-pro ball for the Hebrew Oilers. <laughs> <laughs> How do we get Hebrew Oilers that. t-shirts and hats? I bet I bet you you can find those on the internet. Someone's got those on like you Cafe Press a, or Red Bubble. Is that a real team? The Hebrew Oilers? I don't know. Phenomenal. I don't know. Uh, the music's great. Yeah. We forgot to mention the Randy Newman soundtrack and just like. Iconic score. Nominated for an Oscar. We've seen it. It it comes back in on sports montages. Mm -hmm. You see, there was a run in uh, the NBA and in you know Fox covering the World mm -hmm. Series. They, they'll they'll yank it out of them oh, as well. Yeah. It's great. It's definitely one of those sounds and scores that you instantly associate with the original source material. Like you think about it instantly. I have Kim Basinger again as what's age <laughs> the best. Great job by Alec Baldwin. What a handsome couple. Yeah, one of the most handsome couples we've had. Wonderful. Now, needless to say, not a surprise they have a model as a daughter. Max Mercy. Mm-hmm. They come and they go. Mm-hmm. Quite a character. You ever played baseball? You ever played sports, Max? No, never have. But I make it a little more fun to watch. I like that. It's a good good model for sports media people. How do you think Max would do as a modern-day blogger? What's, like, Max's Instagram and Twitter like? Is he just, like, is he taking his cartooning, his sketches over Let's Instagram now? Let's go way now? further. Where does Max work? Is he FS1 or ESPN? Oh, see to me. Or okay. does he have like his own syndicated national talk show? Let me think about this. I think Max stays in the newspaper world for as long as he can. Really resists making the so jump like to digital Post, media. Philadelphia Daily News. He's got to be at a New York paper. Chicago. Right. He's got to be at a New York paper. You think New York? Yeah. Like New York Daily News? Yeah, let's go with the Daily News. And he's also doing cartoons for them. Yeah, and he's staying there as long as he can. And then finally, he's wooed by Sirius Radio. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, for, for a Mad Dog, Dog Radio. Yeah. Maybe Max has a podcast. <laughs> he's, got, he's got Max Mercy Radio for Sirius. Designed his own logo and everything. Wow. I could see it. It's great. John Rhodes, the lefty from Pittsburgh who comes mm -hmm. in, who's the Roy Hobbs spitting image. Mm -hmm. Just a great casting. That's great. It is. He looks very Roy Hobbs-ish. I like that he's a lefty. Hulking. I don't know where they found him. I liked his throwing motion. Yeah. I'm very particular about the throwing motion with my actors. And then uh, the guys, the slow motion of the guys jumping out of the dugout after the homer. It's awesome. I'm an all-time sucker for that shot. Yeah. Anytime that happens in real baseball, I love when they have those shot of the guys coming oh, yeah. up, flying out sure. of the dugout. It's my favorite. What stage is the best for you? I have a couple other nominees. Okay. Roy Hobbs's three true outcomes offensive game. Like, Roy Hobbs is actually a baseball player for the modern era. Oh, for I like baseball this. as it exists. He's today. like a Zach Cram. He only homers, strikes out, or walks. Like, we see him do do something other than that a couple times in yeah, the Yeah, we movie, never see like a single to the opposite field. It's basically those things. You know, he has the triple earlier in the film. Roy is basically the kind of guy who right now would be like a nine war player. Probably yeah. his WRC plus is going to be like 184, maybe even higher. You know, he's well, just. Well, what he is, is he's 2003 Bonds. Wasn't that the year Bonds had like the 550 on base and just had, it was basically homers and walks. And that yeah. was his whole season. It's perfect. Yeah. So I like that. That is age well. I think. I don't um, think his defensive war would be that good. He seemed pretty slow. And 
yeah. unwieldy in the outfield. Also, every time he reaches for a ball, his like side hurts him. <laughs> He's got the not, silver bullets jutting into his kidneys. <laughs> not great. The old school baseball fashion and all of the baseball aesthetics have aged yeah. wonderfully, Like especially the Cubs uniforms. Oh my God, perfect. What were they thinking playing in these fire retardant uniforms that were like 20 pounds and I, probably- I don't know. They had to have been so hot. They basically look as warm as like the wildling furs. Like, yeah. they look great. They like, do it's look like great. Leo DiCaprio and the Revenant just wearing like <laughs> an animal to stay warm. And then my final nominee is uh, Iris as mm. an independent spirit and, you know, trailblazing feminist. Oh, I like this. Do this. Do your whole riff on this. This is great. She's like, I don't need no man. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Raise him alone. Roy gets her pregnant. He basically proposes marriage. He doesn't know, obviously, that he got her pregnant. But before he leaves, because the Cubs are calling him up. He's like, you know, God, marry me. I'm going to call for you. All this like romantic bullshit. Well, she, she had to know. He invited her to the fantasy yeah. suite. They fuck in the barn. Great. <laughs> the barn fantasy suite. <laughs> Here's a bale of hay. Great. Chris Harrison stayed outside. And then that's it, right? He never returns. She Bad is job by him. Carrying his child. Yeah. And she then goes on and conducts her life. He asks her if she ever got married. No. He asks if she works. Yes. She moves to Chicago, goes to the big city on her own to raise her boy. He goes over to her apartment and he's like, man, this is a nice place. Yeah. She's like able to offer him fresh brewed tea or coffee. Right. Wonderful. She's got a drugstore where the guy knows her name. Yeah. She's Super over yeah, at, the, at, the, at the deli, yeah. at the soda pop, at the luncheonette. It's great. She's, she's living a great life. She's got charm. She can convince the usher to bring Roy a note during a game. That's yeah. crazy. Well, that is ludicrous. Yeah, that's ludicrous. And then she can still she can still get the guy at the end. You know? Yeah. Who knows? Roy was a bad guy. They might not have stayed together. Um, <laughs> so what, what stage is the best for you? Uh, for me, it's red and pop. Yeah. I just like when I, every time I watch this movie, I'd, you could sell me on 30 minutes of deleted scenes with them oh. just in the dugout. Oh, for sure. Ad-libbing lines. Absolutely. Would have been amazing. You definitely want to watch an entire game now where they're mic'd up. Yeah. That would be a wonderful experience. Just them bitching about the players. It's that or I think the score. I mean, the score is so Score's iconic. Great. I'll go either one of those I'm happy with. Let's take a quick break talk about Black Tux. Weddings can have 99 problems, but the groom's look shouldn't be one. That's why the blacktux.com designs rental suits and tuxedos that you'll love. So even if you end up getting featured on a list of 23 epic wedding fails... At least you'll look good for your close-up. The Black Tux has an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Pick a style. Request a free home try-on. You can feel the fit and quality before you commit. You going to any weddings this year, Craig? Yeah, actually, yes, in June. Not yours? No, not mine. Okay, good. Um, the Black Tux also has showrooms all over the country. You can find your fit and plan your look. From there, you'll ship your, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding. So you can check it out one last time. Over 5,000 five-star reviews. You won't find a rental experience at designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. I haven't been to a wedding in like four years. I'm too old. I'm just going to like second weddings at this point. All the people I know are already married. When I go to a wedding, I'll be using the Black Tux. Rent your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com. Enjoy $20 off with code rewatchables. That's theblacktux.com. Code rewatchables for $20 off your purchase. What's age the worst? I'm going to save choices. my choice for the for the very last. I don't think Redford should be in the first 20 minutes of the movie. I okay. think you could actually start this movie um, either just with them, with the lightning, 
and them going to the barn and basically cut everything out. Or you do the first 20 minutes, but it's 18-year-old Redford. I think the whole idea of like just shooting the weird lighting of Redford and Close when they're 30 years old, 20 years older than the characters they're playing. Yeah. I don't know. You you could have used the freaking John Rhodes, the Pittsburgh lefty to be 18-year-old Roy Hobbs. He's in his late 40s in real life and he's playing a high schooler. It's ludicrous. It's And he's like, and he's trying to run. So right. he seems like he's younger. It's also actually a little bit confusing because the shots of him, you know, taking the train ride where he will meet the Whammer and Harriet and ultimately his temporary downfall there. It's like interspliced with shots of him on the train going right. to the night. He doesn't really it's look like, that different. He looks exactly the same. I would have had an 18 year old, 18 year old kid meet Harriet. I would have had an 18 year old kid strike out the whammer. I would not have used Redford for that. Here's the move. Yeah. The, ki- the, the kid who plays his son at the end, have him play young Roy. Well, that's my second. What's age the worst. <laughs> You know, nothing drives me crazier than when somebody can't throw in a baseball movie. Yeah. Roy Hobbs' son is in the finals against Costner's dad in Field of Dreams <laughs> for worst throwing motion. Tim Robbins, I'll give a, a, a half pass to because he, he actually threw out his arm early in the filming, and that's why he throws that way because right. I think he had like a torn rotator cuff. <laughs> I just can't excuse the Field of Dreams catcher this pivotal moment where his dad finally getting his break and then the dad's like throwing it like this. And then Roy Hobbs' son, who can barely catch, who's like the ball, it's almost like it's going to hit him in the face. Yeah. It's, and then he's like throwing it back. It's like, what are you doing? Brutal, especially because when Roy goes to Iris's apartment, he sees, he picks up the glove from the couch in the living room. So this kid Right. Loves Obviously baseball cared about and baseball. thinks about baseball so much that he's carrying his glove with him as he's in the living room doing everything. Like you have to imagine that he's the kind of boy who's just like, you know, he's tying it up at night to soften the leather, like rubbing it down, thinking about it all the time, but he can't throw or catch. I'm so <laughs> happy that my son is just perfect playing catch with. I mean, he plays baseball, but it's just like, it's so nice when you have a son. And have snap. you ever played catch in a beautiful wheat field? No, but I would love to. Wonderful. That's aged aged badly. Yeah, that's rough. Bump Bailey dies running through a wall? He dies? I... I, He died! Shocking! What was in this wall? Like titanium? It's... I have this on my list. No outfield wall padding. It's ludicrous. So Fenway, Fred Lynn ran into the wall in 75 in the World Series and was down for five minutes in in one of the most famous games ever. And the next year, they put the padding up. Right. So I think this was the thing. My question is, could you die from running through a wall? Well, I mean, I guess if you sustained, yeah, sure, if you sustained a bad enough head injury, but. He wasn't even running that fast. Yeah, I don't know. He's just trying to get back into Pop's good graces. And boy, did that take a turn. Why did he have to die? Because obviously, the it's not a baseball answer. He could have just been injured and thus well, out of the team. I think it's the Greek it's, mythology it's the, thing. And, and Memo, right? Because she's yeah. with him. So we have to get him out of the picture for that reason. But it is ludicrous. And also, it sort of plays like bizarrely comedic in the movie. It's, it's like, 100% comedic. It cuts it's right really to just funny. The, the music and the headline. And then they're scattering his ashes. And Roy, by the way, no emotional response yeah. to this well, whatsoever. He's just like, here's my chance. Another thing that's aged the worst. Women are either destroyers or saviors in this movie, and that's it. There's no other character that's female in it's this movie. Very reminiscent of the current uh, Damien Chazelle experience. <laughs> um, 
The mm-hmm. Iris and Hobbs scenes mm-hmm. are just not great. In what way? They're just kind of awkward. It's it's you don't get the sense like they don't have chemistry. They don't have a lot of chemistry. You don't get a kind of I want to jump your bone sense. It's just kind of awkward and stilted. Maybe that was 1939, but um, I feel yeah. like he actually has more chemistry with Memo. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Maybe partly because she's one of the eight hottest women who have ever been in a movie, but. Um, they literally fuck in a phone booth with a glass door in yeah. a hotel lobby. Yeah. <laughs> that's in this movie. So that that's tough. And then um, from the moment he gets poisoned mm-hmm. to the moment basically that he goes to have batting to see if he can still hit. Mm-hmm. To even like when he shows up for the suit up, you're the best damn player I ever saw. Really slow. It's it's like it's 20 minutes. Like he's in a maternity ward. People yeah. are visiting him. I'm my move with sports movies is like get me out of the hospital as fast as fa- as possible. This is the biggest flaw in Rocky too. Adrian goes in a coma delivering Rocky Jr. And now we're just in the hospital with them, and it's like she's in a coma. They're just Rocky saying prayers next to her. He's like, can we get out? Can she just wake up from the coma? The problem with it in the natural, in particular, is that there is no mystery, right? There's zero doubt that Roy is going to play in yeah, the game. just like get you, us to yeah, the game. you never actually question that. So uh, introducing that many minutes of plot where you are, in theory, supposed to be questioning it does ultimately feel a little bit misguided and needless because you know what the outcome is going to be. You could do that in 10 minutes. Do you have any other what's age the worst? Yeah, the absence of basically baseball reference in the internet because nobody can figure out who the fuck this guy is. Nobody like there's there's no ability for them to not even figure out that he was a star prospect, but to even figure out like who he was. That is pretty shocking. But this is 1939. I mean, you basically have the sporting news once a week and no other way to know anything. That's what I mean, though. You watch it in this day and age and you're just oh, like, this is Oh, I see what you mean. Translated now. But, yeah. you, but that wasn't unrealistic, though. I He's involved in a attempted murder and a suicide. That had three other murders? Like, yeah. I think you pop up a little quicker. Also- Yeah, that's a solid point. Max is clearly supposed to be- not only somebody who has this encyclopedic knowledge, but somebody who thinks he does, right? Who really prides himself on and how he much there. he knows. Yeah. He, it, so like, even if he hadn't been, you'd say, oh, well, this is a guy who should, he's, he knows. He knows who all the stars are, who all the up and, up and comers are. He would have been able to piece this together. He literally met this fucking guy. And yeah. in the movie, of course, because it's not a different actor, it's like, this guy looks exactly the same yeah. as when you saw him. How can yeah. you not figure we this out? We fucked up with the casting, yeah. dude. It's so the same dude. That whole thing yeah. about how long it takes for anyone to so figure that's, anything, is that your, anything out. Is, is that your tough. nominee? Uh, I also struggle with the ballpark security. You know, being able to just get yeah. the note to him is very strange. Uh, who, also, knows, who knows in the 30s, though? True. And this is, again, this is true to the era, but something that when you're watching it now in the present day, it's just very jarring. Like, what are these ball and strike calls? You know, where's the pitch framing? Like, a lot of, pitch where's the pitch framing? There are a lot of moments at the plate where it's just like, well, if you're watching baseball now in the, in the present day and you're watching this movie, it's ridiculous. And then this is, a, this is a more serious one. There's no diversity in the film whatsoever. And it takes place, of course, before right. Jackie you Robinson. Have had it. But here's my question for you. Can you, when you're making the film in the 80s, why can't you change when it's set? You'd have to set it in the 50s at that point. 
Why does this movie have to be in 39? It's, oh, made, in, it's made in 84. Like, make a decision to move this forward into a different era and time so that not every single person on these teams and in this movie is white. I, is that a reason? Or the, I mean, you're moving the, the book 15 years ahead of where it was set in the book. But what about the what, what about it needs to be set then? I don't know. I like the whole railroads. You had the hangover of Shoeless Joe. It's like post Babe Ruth. I'm okay with it. Throw it out there as a candidate. My pick would be how old Robert Redford is. <laughs> That's ultimately my pick. I really hate Roy's son's throwing motion. <laughs> That's a good one too. It just drives me nuts. I agree. Redford's too old for the to be in the first twenty minutes. Casting what ifs, couldn't find any. I had none. None. Deanne Waiter's award for the best heat check in the movie. I want to give it to Matson, but I don't think he's going to. Bobby the Bat Boy is my pick. Oh, great. I don't know if you have a pick on your own. What about Gus? When I Gus? Yeah. Darren McGavin, not credited. I on think the you're film. a loser. There's a, a, he's going for it every time. So I guess we could. Yeah, Gus is a better choice because then that could lead us to half-ass internet research. Gus, uh, Gus is really going for it. Oh yeah. So because he was a candidate for the Joe for the uh, the Saul Rubinick mm-hmm. overacting mm-hmm. award as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so Darren McGavin, we're going to half-ass internet research now. Darren McGavin received no credit because he was cast late in the picture. Yeah, would have received a lesser billing than the other stars. So he chose to go uncredited. Terrible decision by Darren no McGavin. Get, guess what? I didn't know what your name was until we did this podcast. I've seen it a hundred yeah, times. Like, dude, you're not on IMDb for this. Yeah. What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> and you go look at his IMDb. It's like 1978, Love Boat, Fantasy Island. <laughs> what is the logic Rockford here? Files. It's literally just a matter of pride over practicality. It's idiotic. It's a terrible job by him. Bizarre. Randy Newman created the theme music. The guy from uh, I Love L.A. and A Million Songs and um, who is who now will live on forever at Laker games. Although they don't win very much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There it was, Craig. Uh, Hobbs breaking the scoreboard clock with a home run inspired by Bama Roel of the Boston Braves doing it to Ebbets Field. May 30th, 1946, he showered Dixie Walker with glass. And as you know, what a moment that would have been to as, have have on the internet. As as you noted, the clock should not have been there. The clock should not have been there. It was Introduced to Wrigley in forty one. There's a director's cut mm-hmm. that I did not watch, which is longer. Yeah, it's six <laughs> minutes longer, which we didn't need. It apparently trims the top mm-hmm. and really kind of uh, tightens the the Redford close stuff, and because he must have been embarrassed by how old they look too. Right. But then for some reason, adds more scenes with Bump Bailey and Gus. Oh, interesting. Hmm. You know, I don't, I don't know if I needed that. more with. I, I don't know, know if I needed more with Bump and Gus. You don't need it, but the death is so sudden. <laughs> it's like this guy is supposed to be, you know, one final impediment, right? Obviously, Pop's refusal to put him in, but also the fact that the guy who's like supposed to be their star and is underperforming is just out there anyway. I would have. I would have actually been. I, I found myself thinking, like, what? What are their interactions like? I actually mm. wouldn't have minded that. And so especially the bri- given, the, given the memo factor, you know? Do you miss having Bump as a nickname? No. Because we had Bump Wills, too. I don't miss it. No. No. I now associate- Want to call Jason Gallagher Bump? Bump Gallagher? Let's do it. 
Yeah. You should call somebody at the ringer bump. See if it, see if it goes. I was going to make a cocaine joke, so now I feel bad. But sure, <laughs> let's let's give it to Gallagher. Yeah, I guess it does have cocaine <laughs> ramifications now. The quote by Roy Hobbs about what it takes to be a big leaguer, he says, you have to have a lot of little boy in you, was actually a quote by Ray Campanella, mm-hmm. Dodgers catcher. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the Buffalo's Parkside Candy Store. <laughs> this movie was filmed in Buffalo. Yes. Actually, let's do that part first. Um, the movie was filmed in Buffalo at the War Memorial Stadium, which right. was built in 37, demolished in 88. Why yeah. do we have to demolish this? I guess this was one of its last great acts. Had a shorter distance down the right field line than is shown in the movie, which is why we don't really see a lot of wide shots of the homers because mm-hmm. I think it was like 270 yards to right, right. field. Uh, TriStar, which made the movie, spent $500,000 putting War Memorial Stadium even further back in time. Interesting. Why demolish it, though? I don't know. Stadiums come and go, man. You know? Yeah, but just keep it. What? What's the point? You need the land? What do you, You're in Buffalo. There's plenty of land in Buffalo. Keep War Memorial Stadium. Maybe, maybe Ringer stupid. Buffalo correspondent Andrew Grotadaro has some has some insight yeah, there. Grudaro. I just like like thinking now about the fact that Buffalo wasn't good enough for Antonio Brown, but it was good enough for the natural. Yeah, the greatest uh, baseball. Well, maybe not the greatest, one of the greatest. So, the place where Glenn Close goes mm-hmm. to have like lunch. The, yeah, the old lemonade. school. Yeah, the lemonade, and she brings Roy Hobbs there. That's a real place. It's called the Buffalo's Parkside Candy Store. You can find it at 3208 Main Street in Buffalo, and it serves ice cream, homemade candy, and sandwiches. Three things that you love. Oh, my God. This sounds great. Yeah. You look at the facade of that shop, and instantly I think that has that place has good milkshakes. That yeah. place has that. I want, to, I want to go there for like an egg cream, you know? So this is one of the many reasons I love my wife. She's huge on signs and yeah. outdoor mm-hmm. and just looking at a place from afar that she's never seen and deciding that it's going to be great based sure. on either the sign or the outdoors. You can sense it. The Parkside Candy Store is like- Wonderful. So there's a place in um, outside Pasadena in San Marino because Zoe's had a couple soccer games there. And Pasadena's got this very old school downtown and they have a place yeah. like this where you go in and it's like sandwiches- and the milkshakes with the whipped cream on top and the old school things. And is this just be more is this of those the cake places. and pie place or a different place? Different place. Oh man. Yeah. About 3,000 people were recruited to play extras in the stands at then minimum wage, which was $3.35 an hour. And they still didn't have enough people. So they made cardboard people <laughs> to cut back on the cost wow. of extras. Many of them were outfitted with straw boater hats that were fashionable in the 1930s. I wish I was wearing one right now. Amazing. We talked about Darren McGavin. Hobbs, when he hit the cover off the ball, has that happened before in baseball? Yes. No. Baseball Hall of Fame has no record of this ever happening. <laughs> <laughs> the bat, uh, the Savoy special, the mm-hmm. bat that Bobby made, mm-hmm. it was a brand of beer in the 1930s. That bat is in the collection at the Baseball Hall of Fame at Cooperstown, along with some other natural stuff, including the uniform. The bloody uniform? Yeah, the blood. Do you think the I, shilling sock uniform? They, I almost put that in what's age the worst. Would Roy really have, like, would he really be bleeding out of the side of his uniform through his fire retardant baseball uniform that's 20 pounds? I have, I had this what, in what a What amount later, of blood would that be? Yeah, I have this in a later category. Maybe that's a but, nitpick. Yeah. Okay. We should dive into that. Hobbs was loosely modeled after Ted Williams, lefty mm-hmm. number nine, said yep. famously, there goes the greatest hitter who ever lived. That's what his goal was. So the Knights faced Pittsburgh in a playoff for the NL pennant. Right. The real 39 Pirates finished 68 and 85. 
Who won, who won the pennant that year? The Reds. The Reds. Yes! So 97 and 57. <laughs> Great job. Wow, my dad will be proud of me for getting that one, right? Less proud of me for, for not getting the baseball scene one, right? But that's okay. This is for David Shoemaker. Brett hit the hitman heart. That's one of the right. All-time great wrestlers took, the, took his catchphrase yeah. from this. The yeah. best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be from this movie. Uh, I like this one for filming purposes. They waited until a clear day mm-hmm. when the setting sun would be just at the right spot to get the Glenn Close standing up shot for the, the halo where it looks like she's got hat. a halo on her hat. That was all genuine, not uh, CGI. Interesting. So that's what I got for internet research. I got a couple more. Okay. Just a couple though. Yeah. Uh, Bobby the Bat Boy, played by George Wilcox, I believe. Oh. First and last movie. They discovered him in Buffalo at his parents' produce stand. And we're like, this is what a Bat Boy should look like. Incredible. He kind of lingers two seconds too long after he gives Roy the bat. <laughs> that, it's like, go back to the dugout, Bobby. He's standing there for a long time. He's kind of standing there. It's like, what's going on here? He's standing there for a really long time. Uh, you already mentioned, obviously, that a real person, Ruth Ann Steinhagen, inspired yeah. Harriet, which is fascinating. Uh, apparently, Barry Levinson, the director, did uncredited voice work as the night's radio play-by-play yes. guy, which is interesting. And finally, I wanted to ask you, if you have considered the inflation scale for the bribe, the $20,000 bribe. I've not. $366,000. Really? Wow. Yeah. It's a lot. Though I guess not really if you're going for team ownership. We, I mean, we can do this now. I was going to do this in picking nits. <laughs> How much would the stake of this team have really been worth for them to just be bribing everybody in sight and throwing around 20000 left and right? I just have no no concept of what a baseball team was worth in 1939. I can't imagine it was that much. Well, Maybe it was. Maybe I'm missing something. You know, I guess... <sighs> I would imagine the gambling, the money they can make from the gambling stuff was probably almost worth as much as the stake in the team. Yeah. But who knows? That's. Not, I mean, I guess part of it is just that... <sighs> There weren't that many teams, you know, and you're in you're in the New York market. You but gotta, it's still baseball. You have no TV money at all. I don't even think they're showing the games. They do have t- cameras in some of the shots, though. You have you're stands. just attendance. Yeah. I have no idea. Hey, let's talk about Luminary. They're revolutionizing the way we listen to podcasts. It's an amazing free app launching this spring. The Ringer is going to be involved. We are doing a couple podcasts for this couple special exclusive podcasts for Luminary. With features like a simple user interface, personalized content recommendations, the Luminary app is a better way to listen to the shows you already know and love. They have a groundbreaking service, Luminary Premium. At launch, Luminary Premium will cater to podcast fans by delivering an incredible network of over 40 ad-free podcasts that will only be available on Luminary. And again, you'll get a couple from us. More details to come on that. I know I'm excited to listen to some great shows like Hannibal Burris's Handsome Rambler and Adam Davidson's Passion Economy. It launches this spring. Sign up for Luminary Premium before April 22nd at luminary.link slash rewatchables. You'll save a dollar off your subscription every month for the rest of your first year. Plus, you'll be entered for the chance to win an exclusive experience with one of their creators like Trevor Noah. Luminary.link slash rewatchables. Sign up. Luminary Premium. No purchase necessary, must be 18 years or older, and a resident of the continental U.S., void where prohibited. See official rules and details at luminary.link. 
Apex Mountain. Mm. Redford, no. Absolutely not. Glenn Close, no. Is it? Duval, no. Is it no one? It might be no one. I had one name. Although Darren McGavin, if he had been credited, it might have been his (laughs) Apex Mountain. I have two names, actually. You could make us, there's a small case to be made for Kim Basinger. LA Confidential. I think, well, she got nominated. I think, did she win for LA Confidential? But that was at the tail end of her career. Um, This got her career really moving to the next level. I say no for her. I just wanted to throw that out. Okay. I think you make a case this is Brimley's Apex Mountain. Wow. I feel like you just stabbed Chris Ryan through the heart. What about the firm? Uh, I just texted Chris to do to come in just to do evil Wilfred Brimley as the <laughs> as the manager in the natural. I think you make a case. I think his chest hair was Apex Mountain. At least let's settle on that. It's the size of an Apex Mountain. It's certainly it's, it's a mountain. It's an Apex <laughs> Mountain of chest hair. What about Roger Town, screenwriter? Didn't do much else. Sure. That was the Levin, best I could do. Or Bat Boy Bobby. Bat Boy Bobby. <laughs> I mean, Levinson, it's it's Diner or Rain Man, right? Levinson, no way. So it's definitely not him. I would say Rain Man for him. Redford. No way. I'm you Redford. were going to say All the President's Men, right, for Redford. It's I would say. It's something in the 70s. He, I mean, he won, a, an, he won an Oscar for Ordinary People as director. We did the All the President's Men rewatchables and yeah. decided that actually was his apex mountain because yeah. not only was he the biggest star in Hollywood, but had the juice to make a movie like that and produce it. You know, that's my favorite movie of all time. All the President's Men? Ordinary People. <laughs> really? Yeah. I love Ordinary People. It's my favorite movie of all time. So we'll do 40-year anniversary rewatchable. Count me in. I can't wait for the divorce rewatchables with me, you, Sean, and Amanda. Do you know we're doing that, Craig? Mm -mm. You're bringing the chocolate chip ice cream. Okay. I gotta watch it. The greatest divorced movie movie of all time. Every kid of divorce has bonded over it. Anyone who says Squid and the Whale for best divorce movie, I just want to fight. It is Kramer versus Kramer, a thousand percent. Um, Joey Pants Award, Darren McGavin, we talked about him. He's yep. one of those guys. I actually didn't know what his name was, but I very recognizable. <laughs> Again, that's his fault. You know? Saw Rubinek overacting. They knew. I got to say, Matson, I really want to give this to him. I felt like he's over the top, and I, I don't know what his character is, and he just is kind of a dumbass. Who would you go with? I think you can make a case for literally everyone in the movie. <laughs> wow. Like, you could make a case for everyone in the movie, but I think you really, you really can make a, pa- a, a case for Kim, Kim Basinger from MO. It's, it's really over the top. I mean, deliberately, obviously, intentionally. So she, you know, she talks about how she, you know, when, she, when she's wooing Roy in the first place, how she went out to Hollywood to be a starlet and how she can make herself someone else. So obviously part of that is actually the nature of the role is that you know when she's with him or when she's with anyone, she's performing. And right. that's actually part of the question is like, well, which of those guys, Gus, Roy, anyone is actually seeing her true self, if anyone? And then I think Prosky, the judge. I mean— He's so over the top. I love Prosky. The, the this lamp stuff. goes on. And he's like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> is a good one. Yeah. The scene when she tries to shoot Roy, there's some bad acting in that. That's it, good. I, I'm, I'll go with Basinger. I'm down with that. All right. Picking nets. I'm sure you have a few as well. I have well. 100. <laughs> Come. I'll keep it to like five. We mentioned the Wrigley Field clock. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of one of the games, the national anthem is being sung. That that didn't happen until right. after World War II. Right. 
Yeah, a lot of time frame stuff. A lot of time frame issues. Hobbs really doesn't put two and two together that it might be his son. He's really that dumb. He does have that one of those moments where he's like, your, your, <laughs> your boy? Your boy? What? Your, is his father coming home? And you just want Ivers to say, come on, Roy. He already is, Roy. <laughs> You're not going to ask, like, how old is he? I know. You have a son? How old is he? I know. The natural follow-up question is, how old is your son? Come on, Roy. <laughs> I know. If Fowler, the pitcher in the last game, was going to throw the last game, if he was mm-hmm. being bribed to throw the last game, he basically makes one mistake in the first eight innings. He throws like a three-hitter. Yeah. What kind of throw job is this? You've already agreed and been paid off. You give up one homer. Hobbs gets immediately suspicious. Yeah. And then the guy's fine. She's going to— I I mean, Roy swayed him. Roy swayed him. You know Shamed him to, and swayed him. Is there an easier guy to throw a game than the pitcher? Just walk a bunch of dudes and give up two hits and yeah. it's a five-run inning. Come on. <laughs> and then uh, my biggest nitpick, and then we'll get to yours. The newspaper copy. Mm-hmm. The, I have a lot of issues with the newspapers, which I also like that gimmick. Yeah. Um, the newspaper copy, if you actually freeze frame it, mm-hmm. it's just gibberish underneath the headline. <laughs> yeah. So it's like Hobbs hits Homer and right. then you underneath it's like, you know, Quidditch. Um, <laughs> and then uh, the dates kind of go back and forth. So yeah. they'll show like a July 5th then it'll be like June 30th. And right. it's really hard to put it in context of time. Yeah. I, I do. I do just love the newspapers and, and the, you know, the magazine covers too. Really fun. Um, I am utterly confounded by everything that has to do with Roy's internal organs and gastrointestinal tract. And the silver bullet and the stomach lining? So it is established canon that he is in the hospital for a long time after the shooting. Yeah, three, 72 hours in a coma. They can't get the bullet out. Yeah. Now this happens sometimes. What are they using, veterinarian tools? But then the bullet comes out perfectly. Yeah. Because he was poisoned later. What? How? Does he shit it out? Like, what is going on here? How did it stay in him that long? How did they not get it out in the first place? How does it come out perfectly later in life without? Because you would think if they couldn't remove it in the first place, it would be because doing so would risk his life. I guess you could rationalize it by saying the doctor tells him that his life is in jeopardy at that point. Anyway, at the end, after the bullet is removed and he's in the maternity ward. But that is just all really, really bizarre. And related to that, the blood that you mentioned earlier, the doctor tells him when he's in the maternity world, it's one of the funniest moments in the movie. Yeah. Your stomach could explode. (laughs) Can I play Monday? The odds and your rage would be against you. One day your stomach could easily just blow apart, kill you on the spot. Yeah, what? Right, so. This is like when like my wife says the dog's stomach will explode if they have yeah, it's chocolate. Like an it's like, do we have, yeah, do we have evidence of this ever happening? So what is causing the blood? Is it that he's opened the original wound I from figured the they took the butt, that they took the bullet out and he's got stitches in there. So they've my, opened. Yeah. Okay. Because. His stitches are now open. But, but he, it has but nothing to do with the original homer. wound or the exploding stomach. There's no answer. What's your next nitpick? It's, it's <laughs> completely illogical and, and it's a mess. It's crazy. Uh, Pop's lineup construction is yeah. abhorrent. You have— You put your slowest guy in the two spot? So 
more troublesome than than anything else, because there are a million things you could raise here, is that when he thinks, okay, it's 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 late, the dream is dead, not gonna get the pennant, Roy's not healthy, I'm gonna go be a farmer like my mama wanted me to. He crosses out Roy's name. Yeah. And subs in a reserve player. A fourth outfielder to bat third. To bat third yeah. in the playoff game. Yeah, come on. Rework your lineup, my no guy. No wonder what you're such you a bad manager. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Shake things up in the lineup. That was baffling. Also, no one hears a gunshot go off in the owner's box in the stadium before the game. Probably thought it was fireworks. That's absurd. And... I do think that given the fact that Roy worked, obviously his name has to be Roy Hobbs. We said earlier, Roy means king. It's part of, you know, his identity. But he works so hard to hide his past and to mask who he is. He doesn't want anybody to know. Change your fucking name. Roy Jenkins. Something. Hobbs Roy. (laughs) Anything. Hobbs Roy. (gasps) Wonder Boy. I mean, if you're picking nits on that, also like, what did he do wrong? He got shot by a lady who killed three other people and then jumped out a window. Like, how is he? How is that getting pinned on him? This eighteen-year-old kid from Iowa. I don't know. I guess that he just why why be that embarrassed about it? It's like, yeah, this fucking crazy lady shot me, and I couldn't play baseball for a while, and now I'm back. I guess part of it is that there's some fear about whether the whether he'd be blamed. whether he'd be blamed. But she killed th- three other people. Sure. Was a lady mystery lady in black, and then it's her. It's like right. we're, we're, when we right. There's the scene on the train. Hobbs. There's a scene on the train when Max is reading aloud about these other athletes. These other murders. Shot, yeah, right? this is like Ted Bundy finally being caught, <laughs> and then the person being worried he's going to be blamed with Ted Bundy's suicide. It's like, yeah, no, you're good actually. We need the true crime narrative pod on Harriet. <laughs> <laughs> Harriet was amazing. Um, Best quote, I believe we have two lives, the lives we learn with and lives and the life we live with after that. No, I believe we have two lives. How, what do you mean? The life we learn with and the life we live with after that. That's great. Some mistakes I guess we never stop paying for. Doc says I have to quit baseball. Why? Some mistakes, I guess, we never stopped paying for. When I walked down the street, people would have looked and they would have said, there goes Ray Hobbs, the best there ever was in this game. Go pick me out a winner, Bobby. Go pick me out a winner, Bobby. Okay. Love that. you have any other ones? Uh, Sam to the whammer. The ball's as dry as your granddaddy's scalp. Strike <laughs> two. Spitballs. Now, pigs poop. That ball's as dry as your granddaddy's scalp. <laughs> well, you better not be trying any funny business out there. Rump that was good, man. <laughs> Real poetry right there. Uh, every time Pop says, My mama wanted me to be a farmer or should have been a farmer, I love it. Great. Uh, this is <laughs> quietly the funniest moment in the movie <laughs> when Pop says, <laughs> My mom urged me to get out of this game when I was a kid. She pleaded with me, and I meant to. You know what? You know what I mean? But she died. And then Red goes, tough. (laughs) Real empathy right there. That's amazing. Not a lot of empathy in this movie. Uh, Another great Red line when he is at the restaurant with Roy. Can't spell it. 
but it eats pretty good. <laughs> Love that. That's amazing. And then also very funny when Bump <laughs> comes in and says, I lost it in the sun. And yeah. Pop really dramatically looks up and it's just, it's a, it's a it totally is, overcast yeah, murky, cloudy yeah. day. And he goes, blinding. Yeah. <laughs> Pop's great. I love some mistakes I guess we never stop paying for. And I, I think that's an awesome quote that could be translated to just about anything. Yeah, that's great. I probably- so That'd be a good, by the way, that would be a really weird high school yearbook quote if somebody did that. <laughs> and be like, what the fuck, what the fuck happened to you? Yeah, it's, uh, I do like that we we sense that Roy is really carrying the weight of his transgressions. I, his weight of his transgression of just showing up at someone's hotel room and getting shot. Yeah, that, that I is- I still can't figure out what he did wrong. He just didn't, didn't, I guess, didn't like, see it coming, Bill. Didn't see it coming, didn't, And speaking of which, that's my last quote. When he says, the only thing I know about the dark is you can't see in it. Here's why I like that. It's not actually like that poetic or literary of a line. It tells you everything you need to know about Roy. Yeah. Like he is quite a literal man. We might be caught up in the myth of it all, but he's literally just trying to see the ball and yeah. see who he's talking to and get to the next step in his life. Hmm. I like it. Could this be remade as a 10-episode Netflix show? Normally, our answer is no for this. I actually think this would be a really interesting show if somebody did this, the 2019 version of The Natural. What's the pacing of the 10-episode show? I don't know. And I don't know if baseball is the right sport for it anymore. I actually think basketball would be a more interesting way to do it because I I feel like in a lot of ways, that's now the American pastime because of the diversity of it. Right. And you could do it that way. Um. I definitely, my answer is no for baseball. Unfortunately, I would love it. But I mean, we just had a great baseball show, Pitch, and it got canceled. You know, people aren't watching it. So I think I think it would have to be no. basketball. Um, baseball would probably be the easiest to do just from filming it and being able to cheat with the sports scenes and stuff. But right. um, I'm trying to think how it would work because the internet kind of ruins this, right? Roy Hobbs shows back up. It's like, hey, there's the guy that got shot in 1998. Right. Yeah, you just dig up his old tweets right away. You, you you find when he checked in as the mayor on Foursquare, something like that. So I was thinking maybe the way to do it is you do basketball, but it's set in the 19, like late 60s or something. Because at that point, people, they still, you could have snuck this by if a guy got, this great high, high school hoops prodigy got shot in 1953 mm. and then came back in 69 and was suddenly in the NBA. That would be, I, I think I would watch that. So the mystery has to be more central. In the show, like the the threat of will his identity be discovered? It, it, this concern he has over being blamed for something that he didn't do. I don't know. Like in terms of the actual sports arc, you could dive into the Max Mercy part better. You could dive into the background of the team trying to be like. They, there's a lot of ways you could add layers to this that I think would work. I don't yeah. know. Probably unanswerable questions. Oh boy. What did Roy Hobbs do for those 15 years away from baseball? <laughs> what was going on? 16 years? Um, How many women do you think he slept with in that time? Because one thing that's clear about Roy, Roy is he, likes to he get it on. cannot keep it in his pants. Cannot resist. Can't keep Wonder Boy he in his pants. It. He fucking <laughs> loves the ladies, Roy do, Hobbs. Do you, one of my unanswerable questions, do you think Roy calls his penis Wonder Boy? <laughs> <laughs> Wondercock? <laughs> I don't know. I think he does. Oh my God. You think he <laughs> keeps a case for it? No, we know he doesn't have a case for it. Yeah. Um, I don't know what he does for those 15 years. I don't know. 
why he didn't try to play baseball again if he wanted to be the best ever. Um, Does he not go back to Iris because he's ashamed? That was my takeaway from it. He was ashamed that he was in love with her and then immediately got seduced by the first person he met. Literally the first person. The first person. But then he, I mean, ultimately when they're reconnected later, he he fesses up to it all like with pretty good grace. I don't know. He... That part's a little that that part of his car- character feels like a bit of a contradiction. Whether he's carrying like shame that actually prevents him from being candid or honest. I mean, I guess when he finally re- reveals it to Iris, he's you know, let's take a walk. That does feel like something that he is like consciously decided she is the person he's going to reveal this to. But that would have been true for her character in particular before too. She would have been the one who felt like home. I don't know. She wouldn't have read the stories in Iowa about the shooting. That didn't make the newspaper. They caught the athlete shooter. 1923, maybe not. Um, That's a good question. What's happening back on Roy's farm? I wrote, uh, this is what I wrote when I wrote about, I answered this in a mailbag question once 15 years ago. Uh I always pictured Roy Hobbs playing semi-pro ball in the middle of nowhere, running a general store and spending a lot of time walking around wistfully with his hands in his pockets. And because of his fear of commitment after the lady in black, didn't date much. He was just bummed out. And that's why they avoided it in the movie. Maybe lot, he's working as a carpenter. A lot of wistful walking from Roy, I think, those 15 years. A lot of like putting on really nice clothes and then just kind of walking around sadly. My next unanswerable question, is Kim Basinger a good actress? Because <laughs> she actually might not be. I don't know. This role, as I said, this role is like the performance is really over the top. She might not be. Uh, why didn't the lady in white ever marry? Hmm. I guess because she's carrying stigma a, of having a being an unmarried mom in the 1920s is just a deal breaker for everybody. Oh, I don't know. Everybody's out. You can make up some story. You know, your husband died building mm, a railroad. That's or, what you would have done. Off of war, <laughs> he died in World War <laughs> World War One. I. I I think she's just she is in love with Roy the whole time. Clearly, you know, she never fell out of love with him. You know and why? Because of Wonder Boy. Yeah. <laughs> He knows how to, he knows how to work that wood in more ways than one. You know, what you've had, Roy Hobbs. It's tough to, it's tough to go to like the local dude in Iowa. The, speaking of speaking of Roy and Iris, this was one of my unanswerable questions. The time that they fuck in the barn. Yeah. Do you think that's the first time they've had sex? My takeaway was yes. Yeah, because, because it was the classic. Yeah, she she kind of pulls him like I'm ready for like, this. Is this like? proper and she's like it's okay it's okay man so like do we think that is the only time in her life that she had sex that brings us to my next unanswerable (laughs) question iris Mm -hmm. sent a little trap for roy maybe (laughs) knows he's going away this is her last chance oh ma'am maybe maybe one last way to 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 make sure she's still a part of whatever's gonna happen next she it up she believes more than anyone he's gonna be the best player of all time Last one. Here's a little present for you, Roy. Maybe timed it. Counterpoint. Do you think she knew about the ovulation cycles in 1923? (laughs) My only counterpoint, other than the contents of her character, that she doesn't tell him about the kid right away when they're reunited. Because it's like lock that shit down immediately. You know, you read about him in the paper. You realize he's back. He's famous, just like you always thought he would be. You, You find him right away, right away. But she doesn't do that. There's a lot of holes she finds in that she part. She doesn't tell him. And he doesn't ask how old the kid is. Because if she says my kid is 16, 
even stupid Roy will figure that out at that point. He'll be able to do the math. Um, would this have been the greatest sports movie game to attend of any sports movie? Oh, interesting. Yeah. I am still going with the end of victory with Sly Stallone. Ooh. Which um, a pen the allies come back from four down to tie it. They get robbed of the winning goal by a shaky call. Penalty kick in extra time. And Sly stops the penalty kick, leading to everybody basically breaking through and overpowering the Nazi guards. And everyone <laughs> escapes. The end. That's the best one ever. That's a good one. I think... The reason that this is a pick is the same reason it isn't. The answer is yes, because you want to be there for the walk-off home run. To get showered by But that's the reason fire. it isn't. You're going to like lose an eyeball right. because the glass shards are everywhere. How many people died in that stadium? <laughs> Every light they explodes. They cut that part out. A hundred people died in the— uh... Also, would that happen? I mean, I don't know what the like the wiring system was like back then. The ball hits a light. So why every single light then explodes is a mystery to me, but mm. I am not an electrician. Yeah. I don't know. I'm I did have that, that as, as a, a, a string of unanswerable questions. Give me, give me the rest of yours because then I got one more. We see, as discussed, all of these newspaper headlines throughout. So what are the headlines we don't see? What headlines came after the walk-off? Oh. I like to think about that, you know. Uh, let's see. Roy kills them out here. the night stadium. Night slugger mashes explosive game-winning home run, suffers career-ending exploding stomach injury. <laughs> <laughs> we'll never play again. 23 dead, hundreds critically injured as National League pennant decider ends in freak stadium light detonation. <laughs> <laughs> Police fail to respond to 911 gunshot call hours before Pirates Night's <laughs> playoff game. Hobbs stares down bad boy after a 13-year-old refuses to clear the field <laughs> following that exchange. You know, what was in the papers that we didn't see? Those are all great. What else do you have? Anything? Uh, yes. What does the note that Iris gets to Roy say? Obviously, we know it's the reveal about his son. But specifically, what does it say? How does it she says, phrase this reveal? Is she like, you owe me this much in back pay for child support? No. It says, I was afraid to tell you this before, but I feel like I have to tell you now. Your son is in the stance. He's 16. And he doesn't know how to play, play baseball. And he so you have to teach him. You got to meet us in the wheat field and, and teach him. And he throws him. like he just picked up a baseball two days ago. <laughs> and he's a grown, a grown teenager. I love it. This isn't really unanswerable. I think this is heavily implied, but just to state it for the record, if the whammer makes contact, Harriet kills him instead. Oh, I like that. And Roy is fine because she's there for the whammer, right? She's chasing the best ever. So that's interesting to think about. And then, of course, you know, the Knights won the pennant. So well, I was they ask. move on to the World so what Series. Happens? They lose. Of course. They play the Yankees. Yeah. That's the Lou Gehrig year. They're not winning that game. Because that's it for Roy. He doesn't play again, right, after the Roo pennant. Roy Hobbs and Lou Gehrig, neither of them play again. Uh, last one is what were Roy Hobbs' stats in the National, which when I started writing for page two in 2001, mm -hmm. I tried to figure it out in, the, in a mailbag, and it actually became— weirdly an important writer moment for me because this it was- This is all over the internet, your research for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, then, and, you know, at the time when I was writing for page two, like there were no national columnists and everybody was writing it like in this very kind of, you know, set way that mm -hmm. you wrote a sports column. And then I'd started writing for them and I was doing weird shit like this. And some of it didn't work, some of it did. This one, I just tried to figure out his stats 
and people loved it. Oh, and yeah. it was definitely like, oh shit, I should keep keep pushing stuff toward this. Roy so, has a baseball reference page, but it's just your it's your research. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I found it. Oh, that's this hilarious. Today. <laughs> so here's what I found out. I screwed this up because when I did this, I was using the VHS cassette of mm-hmm. the game or whatever. Mm-hmm. Blurry. Yeah. When you have the digital now, you can see the dates. On the papers. And so when I did this, I thought he started playing in June and I thought it was about four months. But now when you really can freeze frame it, um, Bump Bailey goes down, but you clearly know his first at bat was on July 5th Mm -hmm. because the newspaper headline about it says July 6th. Right. All right. So we have that. Um, We have, he has a late July slump. Actually, I'm sorry. He has a slump in August. Everything is going good until there's a Life magazine cover, which is August 14th. After they show that cover, the announcer says, there's Hobbs' homer. It's Mm -hmm. his 11th. Mm -hmm. So now he's been playing for, I'm going to say six weeks. He has 11 homers. But we also know he has a slump. Yeah. The Lady in White game is September 3rd. Okay. Where he has the game winner. The next day, four homer barrage in Chicago. And now he's he's going all the way through. We see about 17 to 18 homers that I think are homers during the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, figured he misses the last three games of the season. It's a 154-game right. season. Right. We're not at 162 So we yet. lost some games right. already. Um, he was slow. Oh, yeah. I had this in the original piece. Didn't beat out a lot of leg hits. So it was more <laughs> like the uh, Ted Williams, when Ted Williams hit 388 in like 1959 or right. 56 or whatever. So my 2001 guess was that he played 115 games, 400 at bats, 350, 447, 750 slugging, 44 homers, 106 RBIs, 75 walks. I have to redo this now. I think he played 75 games max. Yeah. 290 at bats, 60 walks, 33 homers. I th- I think I have the same 350, 447, 750. Mm-hmm. So just try to model it after like a bond season. Right. Maybe 29 homers, 80 RBIs. RBI count feels high because the Knights, other than him, suck. Not a lot of guys on base. So maybe like 29 homers, 70 RBI? Yeah. I mean, project that over a full season, though. And man, that's Cooperstown stuff. Do you think he played 75 games? I feel like he might have. Hmm. That feels, that might be too many. It's somewhere between 70 and 75. So Barry yeah. Bonds on baseball reference. Um, his 2003 season, oh, I'm sorry, 2004, where he played uh, 147 games, but he, 362, 609 on base, 812 slugging. So my next question to you is, was he better than Roy Hobbs was in that half season? Well, so- Because I feel like he probably was. Bonds is taking the intentional walk, which is how his on-base percentage is getting so high. Right. We know from one of the newspaper headlines that Roy is not taking the intentional right, he walk. Swung he swung at an intentional walk. Right. So presumably that would extend. I mean, maybe it's maybe it warranted the the newspaper article because it was a a, a, a random once in a season event that no one had ever seen. I don't know seen, if they did that as much back then. I don't know. I don't know. So what's crazy is when I did this, I didn't realize. I I think I ended it in two thousand one with like. Barry Bonds' stats right now are actually better than this. Mm-hmm. And then Bonds had four straight years. Barry Bonds was better than Roy Hobbs is my conclusion of this. I, I think his and stats- And he did it all without any help. In my, he, 
Poor Roy had a silver bullet in his in his stomach. Was and, the uh, natural the name of the uh, of the steroid that maybe Hans is using? So we think seventy five games, seventy. Yeah, that seems right. What would you say? Let's go with seventy. Seventy games. Yeah. 20, 28 homers, seventy RBI. 350, 447, 750. I think his batting average might have been a little higher. Higher. Yeah. So like 390. Well, he had this slump that lasted like three weeks where he didn't get a hit. It's so true, in 70 games, in ga- if he didn't get a hit for like 15 games. You know what we don't see a lot of though? We don't see a lot of games where he's like one for three. He's like four for five or he strikes out every time. Right. So the four homer game in Jay Chicago Bruce. is gonna help. Right. So, so streaky. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna say let's go three seventy. Okay. 450 on base, 750 slugging, mm-hmm. like 28 homers, 72 RBI, something like that. I feel like he has more than, I think he more RBI than maybe we're giving him credit for. Maybe. Maybe like 80 RBI. I guess the whole team gets hot, so more guys are on base. Is this something we really have to have Zach Cram figure out? Is that where this is all leading? It might be. It might be. Because the thing is, if you look us up online, everybody's citing your research. I know. And my research was flawed. <laughs> I also said he had no protection in the Knights lineup. Yeah. And if he was hitting over 400 or near 400, they would have alluded to it in a newspaper headline and they didn't. Right. That's, so a, that's that, a good point. The so he's probably in the 360 point. to 370 range. I agree with that. I like to think about, obviously his age would be a huge factor, but removing age from the equation for a minute, if he hit the open market nowadays how the critics would tear down his game as <laughs> being too right. one-dimensional. Like you said, not a good... De- I mean, he's got the throwing arm, obviously, in the outfield. Possible clubhouse cancer. Not a great defender. Slow on the bases. You know, is he, like, up for, like, a hit and run if you need him to be? I don't know. Yeah, he's a little He's a little <laughs> me first. Took me a long time to get here, Pop. Um, all right. Uh, who won the movie? Robert Redford. Yeah. I don't. I didn't even. Unless it Brimley's chest hair. I'm you willing. could. You could make a case for for Pop. I mean, it's such a wonderfully winning performance, and in a lot of ways, it feels like he's the heart of the film. Because even though it's Roy's journey, like to get back to the Fisher King thing, that parallel, the Holy Grail is. It's for Percival. Roy is pursuing it, but it's about the maimed king, Pop, and giving this guy the win finally. And the idea of this tortured existence where it just ne- it felt like it was never going to happen. And on the one hand, it's like you need somebody else to help you make it happen. But I actually think that's like pretty powerful too, you know, reminding you that you can't do it on your own. And especially in a story mm. where Roy is such a solitary figure. I like that reminder. So I think Pop gives us a lot. Also, I mean, Red is just like iconic. <laughs> Probably not in it enough to win, but. Mallory, it was a pleasure and a privilege. An honor for me, truly. Um we're going to be doing Major League and Field of Dreams over the next couple of weeks. When are we doing Bull Durham? Bull Durham, we're saving for when it's a really magical time. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me. <laughs> 